Worldview is an integral part of what we believe as part of our life, as well as the lives of everyone around us. So we're going to take a moment and just look at a couple of different worldviews. The first one is materialism. This is the idea that the one with the most toys wins. Remember those shirts back in the day? No fear, the one with the most toys. Materialism is summed up in one word, more. More stuff. I just want more. If I have more cars, more toys, more clothes, more things. You work so that you can get more, so that you can do more. All that really matters in life is acquiring things. The people who describe this as their worldview like to collect things. Next one is selfism. We live in a me first, serve yourself world that says it's all about you. Commercial slogans cater to this viewpoint. Slogans like have it your way or we do it all for you or obey your thirst You've got to think about what's best for yourself or you deserve it. Selfism actually is ruining our churches. People come to church and they say, I want you to serve my needs. I want you to provide me with these great programs. I want to just come and observe and check out. If you press them, they'll say, well, I have a really busy schedule like to help more, but I just can't. I, I don't have time. The next one. Make sure. Oh. Hedonism. Now, being at home this week, I watched a lot of television, and let me tell you, every romantic comedy out there is hedonism. <laughs> is this is the worldview that says, do what feels good. Hedonism is the belief that the most important thing in life is how we feel. The number one goal of a hedonist is to feel good, be comfortable, and have fun. How many times have you heard people say, I just want to be happy. I don't know about that, that church stuff or whatever. I just, I just really want to be happy. The Bible answers to hedonism is found in Proverbs twenty one seventeen. It says, you're addicted to thrills. What an empty life. The pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied. Some of you may remember our good friend Mick Jagger. He used to sing, I can't get no satisfaction. If you remember that, you're over 40, by the way. Just, you know. Relativism is the next one. What's true for you is not necessarily what's true for me. This worldview says it doesn't matter if it's wrong or right. It doesn't matter as long as nobody gets hurt. If it works for you, then that's fine. In our culture, this is a very popular worldview right now. Nobody wants to tell anyone what they're doing is wrong. In fact, the only way that you can be wrong in our society today is if you tell somebody that they're wrong. Isn't that true? How many times do we get criticized as Christians for telling people that their worldview is wrong? They're telling us our worldview is wrong. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. The fact is that there is truth in the world, and it is found in God and in his word. 
And anyone who opposes God and his word will discover that the way is death. The last one is atheism. God doesn't exist. Atheists don't believe in a grand creator or a grand design. They believe that we are all an accident of nature, of evolution. They believe that everything in life is a result of random chance. If there's no God, then there's no plan. There's no purpose for life. If there's no purpose, then it doesn't really matter what happens. Life has no value, no meaning, and no purpose. It takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to believe in God. When you look at creation and the world, how it's set on its axis, how can you not believe that there's something greater out there? But they don't. Oops, sorry. This thing is fancy. All right. So, what does it mean to follow a Christian biblical worldview? Well, George Barna recently did a study. Again, I'm a big fan of George Barna because I really like statistics. I know most of them aren't even right, but I really like them anyways. So for those of you who are going to stop listening to me the minute I said George Barna, I understand. For the rest of you, let's keep going here. George Barna recently said the primary reason people do not act like Jesus is because they don't think like Jesus. Our behavior stems from what we think, our attitudes, our beliefs, our values, and our opinions. All worldviews have consequences. Every day we're affected and influenced by them. We're often not even aware of the fact that we are. But these worldviews affect our happiness and success, and they matter greatly. There's only one worldview that's consistent with the Bible, and that's the biblical worldview, believe it or not. God made us for this purpose. It says that we exist for his pleasure alone. It's a 180 degree difference from what the other worldviews believe. We're not here for ourselves. We're here for him. So step one of our New Year's resolution is to cast aside what the world says that you need and focus on what God says we need this year that let's move to sermon number two back to our verse so not conforming to the patterns of this world we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds now i love a great makeover story i love the human makeover stories, whether it's like the biggest loser and you watch the whole season and they come out, they've lost all this weight, or it's a home makeover story where, you know, at the beginning it looks terrible and they work on it for 15 minutes and all of a sudden it's awesome. Or you watch those movies where, you know, there's the ugly duckling who really likes the football player and really it's somebody who's relatively attractive. They just need to take off their glasses and do their hair a little bit differently and change their outfit. Oh, why is it always like that? Anyways, there's lots and lots and lots of makeover stories and our society loves this right now because it shows people like themselves becoming what they want 
to become. It shows them becoming what the world tells them is success. What happens on almost every one of those makeover stories, if you've seen that where are they now, the biggest loser champion, we're back where they started. The people who got a brand new house, they've trashed it all over again. Because what happens on the outside isn't what matters. What needs to be transformed is on the inside. Now, it's not even just about transforming our insides. We know that can only happen through Jesus. We know that him coming into our life changes our heart. and gives us a new experience to follow the Holy Spirit and to make decisions. But, you know, when our heart is instantly changed at the time of salvation, our minds don't always follow. I know for me, many, many, many times I've said, I know in my heart that it's true, but I just can't convince my mind. I just feel like I'm just not good enough. Or I just, I have this sense that I can't get past my past. My heart has changed. I want to follow God, but my mind hasn't been changed yet. So what does it mean to renew our minds? Step one, trust. Trust that the slideshow is going to work. If we want our lives to be transformed, sorry, it's truth, not trust. We will get to trust. We're just not there yet. Truth. Truth is first. If we want our lives to be transformed, we must fill our minds and our thoughts with truth. God's truth brings freedom and deliverance. Now, Raja and Marshall and I were having a conversation a few weeks ago. We were just talking about ministry and struggles that people have and what do we think is the number one struggle and we all agreed it's insecurity. You know, as somebody who's, who's in ministry, we really struggle with just the insecurity of whether or not we're good enough to do the things that God's called us to do. And, and I don't believe that that's just people in ministry. I believe as a woman, I feel totally insecure about being a parent and being a really good mom and looking at other people and thinking that what they're doing is so much better than me. As a wife, I think, man, their marriage is way better than mine. As a student, I think, wow, if I could only get 5% higher on that exam. I think we all struggle with insecurity on some level. And Satan wants to use that, and he does. And so when we put garbage into our lives, we've all heard this before, garbage in, garbage out. If you're believing the lies of insecurity, that you're not good enough, you can't be used by God, want you it's not true it's absolutely not true we need to meditate on thoughts of goodness and purity and not allow ourselves to be deceived by what satan tells us when our minds are filled with the truth our lives can be transformed now for me for 2015 my new year's resolution is to memorize a lot of scripture just want to focus on God's word and meditate on God's scripture. And so here's one. If you're only going to learn one this year, try this. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When your mind starts going towards the stuff that tells you that you're not good enough, stuff that tells you that what the world has is better, meditate on God's word, on scripture. Next one, Thanksgiving. Go. 
need to take time out to thank God for all that we have. Now, a really practical way to do this is with a gratitude journal. Many of you have heard of a thousand gifts or a thousand reasons or um, documenting a thousand things that you can be thankful for each year. It's really hard to complain about what you don't have when you're being thankful for the things that you do have. We must put away all of our thoughts of depression, complaining, murmuring, jealousy, criticism, judgment, and bitterness. Our minds need to be dominated by gratitude, by what we have instead of dwelling on what we don't have. Self-pity and complaining. Sometimes we'll think, you know, if I just had this, then I would truly be happy. I know, again, for me, one of the worst things that I can do is go on Pinterest because... I want everything I see and stuff I didn't even know I wanted. I really want. And then I think about the stuff I have in my house and that I can create that into that if I just try harder. So talk about inadequacy coupled with desires for things that, that I don't have. Now, I'm not saying that Pinterest is bad. I do enjoy it as well. I'm just saying keep, keep your framework, your mind framed in the right place. It's not about we don't have. It's about being thankful for what we do have. A heart and mind of thankfulness will transform our lives and fill us with joy and happiness. So again, if you want a really practical thing to do this year, why not start counting things you're thankful for? I had a really cool app on my phone last year called the Happy App. And every day at a certain time, it reminded me to write down one thing I was thankful for. And I could see every day of the whole month on my screen. It's just a cool way to see how God was using different things in my life to be thankful for. And as promised, trust. (laughs) The last one is trust. Now, as I said, I really believe that insecurity is one of the things that keeps us from doing what God wants us to do in our lives. But right up there with insecurity is fear. A fear that we can't do it. And fear is a lack of trust in God. If we put our trust and our faith and our confidence in God, we are giving him the control of what happens in our lives. And by giving the control over to him, we can eliminate fear, unbelief, worry, suspicion, unworthiness, and doubt from our minds. No one has the ability to transform our minds up for God and he can't do it until we give the control over to him so trust that he can make it happen all right last last one to our verse here we go so not conforming to the pattern of this world transforming our minds and finally we want to be able to test and approve what God's will is His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, this again, God's will all in itself could be a 12-week sermon series. So we're just going to cover it um, as it applies to what we're doing today. So when Christians talk about discovering the will of God... What they usually have in mind is praying until God discloses to them a specific direction for their life. Who they should marry, what job they should take, 
whether they should be missionaries, what house they should buy, and so on. We pray because we want God to give us the exact details of what it is he has in store for us. First of all, this is not exactly what he's talking about when he says, test that you may discern what God's will is. The will of God is far more important than that. But we're going to talk about quickly the three parts to God's will. The first one is God's sovereign will, which is hidden and is not revealed to us except as it unfolds in history. Just like Brian said this morning, we have no idea what will happen in 2015, but God's will, God does know that's part of his sovereign will. He is only going to release that to us as the time comes. The second one is God's moral will, which is revealed to us in scripture. So this is stuff that we know is okay or not okay based on the fact that it's in scripture. And the final one is God's specific will for individuals, which is what people are usually thinking about when they speak of searching for and finding God's will. Got it? Everybody got those three, three areas? Now, there should be no pressure to discover exactly what God's will for your life is right now. If you've ever had a sense of fearing that you've missed out on what God wants you to do, or somehow you've made one wrong decision and it's just a domino effect that's going to make everything else go badly for the rest of your life, that's not how God's will works. Now, I went to Bible college, so I got thoroughly messed up on a lot of theology over time. <laughs> Partially that comes from your teachers, but mostly it just comes from the other students who you're going to school with. <laughs> My Bible college friends are laughing down here. Well, there's a Bible college urban legend out there that some guy decided that God told him that uh, he was supposed to marry this girl. And so he went to this girl and he said, I really feel like God told me that I'm supposed to marry you. And she said, I, I don't feel it, but I, I guess you must be right. And so she married him. Well, of course, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it's possible, but it's pretty ridiculous. God doesn't give us um, decisions in front of us that he doesn't also, also give us the means to making them. So we are free to make decisions within the light and the wisdom that we currently possess. We can know that God has a perfect will for each of us. So we may not know what it is currently, but we can know that he does have one for us. And that the Holy Spirit is praying for us in accordance with that will. And that this will of God for us to be done because God has decreed it and because the Holy Spirit is praying for us in this area. So there is a will and we can discover it over time. But it's not meant to be right now. It's not meant to be, I pray whether I should have chicken or fish, and I ate the fish, and then I got sick, and that must have been it because God really wanted me to eat the chicken. It's not how it works. God, in this verse, however, is referring to his general will. He is telling us just beforehand in Romans 12, 1, that we are to be living sacrifices, and then as we've already covered, to not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so the good news, the practical news for us today, is that if we are not conforming to the world, and we are working on renewing our minds, then God's will for us will be... Oh, well, let's get it. 
will be um, laid out for us over time. So if we focus on doing what God wants us to do in the immediate, we will ultimately see what he wants for us in the future. So God does have a plan for each of us. The next one, the will of God is good. In a general way, the will of God for every Christian is revealed in the Bible, and God has given specific instructions on what that looks like. Think about the Ten Commandments, for example. That's a really good starting point. God's will is for us to not have any other gods before him. His will is that we would not worship other images. His will is that we would not misuse his name. His will is that we would remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That we would honor our parents. That we would not murder or commit adultery or steal or give false testimony. And then when Jesus came along in the New Testament, he went further with that. He said, love one another. Be holy. Pray continually. These are all part of God's will. These are good things that God wants us to do. Any one of those is a wonderful New Year's resolution all in and of itself. There is a good which we will discover if we obey God in these areas and put these into practice. Next one is his will is acceptable. Hannah Moore, the English poet and philanthropist, said, no man ever repented of being a Christian on his deathbed. Isn't that true? Can you imagine going to somebody's deathbed and the last words out of their mouth was, oh, I really wish I had cheated on my husband. Wow, I really wish I had lied to my kids more. Man, I really wish that I had fought with my siblings just a little bit more. If we determine to walk in God's ways, refusing to be conformed to the world and being transformed by the renewing of our mind, we will not have to fear that at the end of our lives, we will look back and be dissatisfied or bitter, judging our lives to have been a waste of time. Because on the contrary, when we look back and conclude on our lives, we will have lived them to be fully satisfied because we will have lived them according to what God wanted us to do. And the final one, no sermon is complete without a little Greek. So there you go. Greek lesson. The word is teleos. Now this is translated from the word perfect, but there's many words in the Bible that are translated from the Greek into perfect. Now this one in particular means something that has attained its full destiny. It is complete. One who is mature, a mature adult. So when you think about your life, the form of a circle is complete. That is God's will, perfect and complete. There is nothing in God's will for our lives that is incomplete. There's nothing that we can do to go to God and say, I have a better plan. I know you think yours is good, but mine's never going to happen. There is satisfying wholeness about it. To put it in the negative form, it means that if we reach the end of our lives and we are dissatisfied, 
and we will know that we have lived outside of the will of God. Now the last one is the will of God is to be tested. This is the exact opposite of our normal way of thinking. Usually we want God to tell us what his will for us is and that afterwards we'll decide whether or not it's good and acceptable and perfect and then whether or not we want to do what it actually says we should do. Romans 12.2 tells us that we have to start living in God's way and that only then will we begin to see his will unfold. Now, for those of you out there who are parents, I have to say that I never truly understood how ridiculous we are as human beings until I had toddlers of my own. How many times do they lay on the floor screaming and crying, I don't need a nap! And you're like, come on, you just confirmed how desperately you need a nap. Parents of teenagers telling you, I know what's best for me. You don't get it. You were never young like me. That's God looking at us. He's looking at us and saying, how could you possibly think that your two-year-old mind of ideas is better than what I have in store for you? Even Jesus was to test the will of God. When he came to earth, his purpose in part was to test the experience that the will of God for his life was good and acceptable and perfect. Even though it eventually involved the pain of the cross, which hardly seemed good and acceptable and perfect. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying before he was taken, can you imagine what it would have been like if he had said, now, I know, God, you've got this plan, but I was just thinking about it, and maybe there's another way for me to save the salvation of the world. Didn't happen. God tested. Jesus tested God's will for his life. So sometimes we have things that God wants us to do, and we don't know. It doesn't seem good at the time. But God's will is perfect. It's pleasing. It's good. And it needs to be tested. Jesus tested and submitted himself to the will of God to the very end of his life. How often do we test God's will? And how often do we ask God to just make do with our will? So we can conform to the pattern of this world or we can choose to live differently. We can believe we're not good enough. Or we can choose to renew our minds we can keep doing our own thing or we can choose to test God's will. 2015 is coming. It's here actually, whether we want it or not. I just want to close by telling you a story about God's will for my life. I haven't shared my testimony yet because I was saving all this material for today. (laughs) In 2005, I was living in the U S my husband and I had been married for a couple years We were working for a church, which we absolutely loved. We had a wonderful group of friends. We enjoyed the freedom of being newlyweds. We were far away from our families, which for that time was kind of exciting to explore and do new things. I was very, very happy with my life at the time. And then I found out I was pregnant. (laughs) 
and I wasn't happy. I was really, really mad at God. I was really mad because I wasn't ready. And I pouted, and I cried, and I whined because I was selfish. I wanted my life to be about me, and I wanted it to happen on my terms. My husband is a very, very wise man, and I speak incessantly, and he only speaks when he has to. And uh, he's the type of person that kind of stands off in the corner, and everybody talks and talks and talks, and then they stop and they say, Jared, what do you think? And then he has these wise words. So anyways, he listened to me cry and whine and go on and on and on for a couple weeks. And finally, one day, I remember it as clear as anything. He said, Jen, shut up. (laughs) He said, God has a plan for our lives. He's giving us this baby for a reason. And whether you like it or not, it's happening. So shut up. Suck it up. Get going. And so I tried. I tried my best to suck it up and move on. And by the time our son was born, I was ready. I was excited. I was looking forward to it. And he came really early. He was very, very small. And I was very sick. And again, questioned why like I didn't even want this child and now this is happening and we don't know what's wrong and for about a month we were back and forth to the doctors all the time not sure what's wrong what's going on what's happening here and finally on a a routine check-in the nurse practitioner not even the doctor was listening to his heart and she said I think I hear a heart murmur and uh, she said, it's not a big deal. It's fine. But, um, you know, I, I think you should have it looked at. Now, only because we were living in the United States at the time, could I then say to the nurse, well, you know, Jared's got the day off work. Do you think you could get us in today for an echocardiogram? And, uh, and she said, sure, yeah, we'll get, we'll get you in this afternoon. This is unheard of to anyone who's been around this block before. And so they sent us to um, to the hospital for this what was a routine checkup, and uh, this woman came in, and, and ultimately we thought, like, it's not a big deal, but at least it would explain why he seems to have been sick lately. He was just really small. He wasn't gaining any weight. So anyways, this woman comes in, and she, she starts doing the echocardiogram, and she gets up, and she just leaves the room, and she's very emotional. I can just see it all over her face. Something is wrong. And so she leaves the room, and we can hear her on the phone calling for a medevac to come and get our son. And I turned to my husband, and I said, why? What is going on? What is happening here? How can this be God's will? She came back in the room, and she said, your son is very, very sick. He's very sick. You need to get him to the children's hospital right now. She said, I would send you by helicopter, but it's only a 10-minute drive. You'll get there faster on your own. Just get in the car and drive. And so we did. We drove him as fast as we could, and we got to the children's hospital, and it was like a scene out of any medical movie drama you've ever seen. There were doctors, and everybody's standing there, and they dragged him in, and they opened up his chest. They had every, all these tubes and everything all over him, this little four-pound baby 
way who knew no better. And I just sat there and I cried and I thought, how is this God's will? And the doctor came to us. We had tons of friends who came and sat with us and prayed with us. And and the doctor came out and he said, I want you to know that if this was not found today, your son would be dead. He was hours from heart failure. And he said, you know, there's a tube that goes between your heart and your lungs and you're in utero that keeps the baby breathing. I said, when a baby's born, that tube closes up automatically because they take that first breath of air. He said, for some reason, I can't explain it. He said, your son's never closed. He said, that's kept him alive for the last four weeks. That was God. That was God's handprint on 2006 for us. You know, the hundreds and hundreds of people who prayed for our son through that situation. For those of you who don't know him, his name is Isaac. And we believed that God asked us to bring our Isaac to the altar, and he gave him back. And now he is the most rambunctious, overactive (laughs) eight-year-old you will ever meet. But I never look at him and not think that God's hand was God's will was perfect and pleasing. And to this day, eight years later, people come to me constantly and they say, you know what, we've never met, but I remember your son. I remember praying for your family in that time. And so maybe 2015 will be for you what 2006 was for me. Maybe it won't be. Maybe it'll just be one more year trudging along trying to figure out what it is but it doesn't matter because God's called us to today he's called us to this time he's given us grace alone through Jesus Christ and he's given us the Holy Spirit to lead us along this path we are to do it experimentally putting him first in everything every day, right now, and tomorrow, and for the rest of 2005. Sorry, 2015. Let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I know that my miracle isn't the only one. I know that many lives have been impacted by what you have done in our world. Each one of our lives is a miracle in and of itself. We thank you that you've given us this day. We thank you that you've given us this year. We pray, Lord, you would help us to not conform, that you would help us to be transformed, and that your will would be done in each of our lives, each and every day of 2015. In your name I pray. Amen.